Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. We've got a lot of questions for you about real estate, and uh, certainly residential real estate prices seem to be rising fast in a variety of major economies. How are you thinking about these market dynamics at the moment? Mark, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to join you today as well. Um, you know, well, from a residential perspective, we think it represents a, a compelling investment opportunity. And actually, it accords with how we want to invest by looking at long-term secular themes, demographics being one of those. And the way that we think about it as we're investing is pretty simple. You know, in locations where there are rises, it's principally because there's a low cost of financing and, and demand exceeds supply. Um, interest rates have some bearing on these rises, but actually it's more down to demographics and demand exceeding supply. This is short-term unlikely, unlikely to change. So, you know, for example, in less than 10 years, 60% of the world's urban population will be in Asia. That's just going to further fuel this demand. And people have got to live somewhere. So from a, an institutional investor perspective, which is where we sit, you know, this is a great buying opportunity for us because as individuals buying becomes less affordable, it means that most of this population will have to rent. Uh, and so that provides the opportunity for us. You know, we've got three decades of experience investing institutionally in the residential sector, multifamily, as they call it in the US, over a decade in Europe. We, see we invest in Asia already. So for us as an investor, which may be slightly different from the individual, is we see this house pricing appreciation, lack of affordability, really forcing people to rent and increase residential sector as actually quite a good investment opportunity. Okay. Now, something that's on a lot of people's minds is flexible working and how that might influence some of these longer-term trends that you're talking about. Well, look, I, I think this is always a good opportunity to um, dispel some myths, maybe. You know, don't believe everything you read in the press, um, which necessarily is, is, is going to be a motive. Um, you know, and, and similarly, we prefer to follow secular trends. Look, flexible working isn't new. You know, COVID has been a, a catalyst to accelerate change. But this was happening already, and as an investor, this is what we were following already. You know, just think about it. You know, um, hot desking, that is flexible working. That's been around for years, and it just evolves over time. So for the most part, we don't see overall office demand changing very much. You know, there are going to be some winners and losers. The winners are going to be well-located, CBD, sustainable, amenitized offices. And this is where growth companies and industries want to be. You know, it's, it's no accident, even pre-COVID, that about 75% of our portfolio, office portfolio is in global innovation and technology hubs. They're a growth focus, and they will continue to be so, and we hear that news in the press now. The losers will be those which are poorly configured, poorly located offices that are not fit for purpose, so more suburban back office kind of locations uh, where there will be more flexible working. But ultimately, you know, there isn't going to be a wholesale change from an office perspective. Flexible working was here already, but, you know, it was a uh, – COVID has been a catalyst. And also, don't forget the point I made it earlier on um, when talking a bit about residential is, you know, with 60% of the world's urban population being in Asia within 10 years, and think about housing densities in Asia already – Flexible working, working from home doesn't really work that well in many Asian cities. And so I don't think we're going to see that much flexible working in Asia or not a complete change. It's going to be much more confined to Europe 
and and the U.S. Um, so different, it'll have a different impact, different places around the world. But overall, I think it's a good thing. But I don't think it's really going to change significantly demand for offices. It'll just change how they work or how they're used, rather. Well, that's a great point about uh, Asia being different in terms of housing uh, configuration and what that means for commercial real estate. Can you tell us a little bit more about regional differences like that? I think people would love that perspective. Well, like, um, it's a great point because real estate, it's not homogeneous. Uh, it is very different in different locations around the world. The impact of COVID, for example, has been incredibly varied around the world. There are very few global factors that um, influence real estate everywhere. You know, I live in the UK. We've had a lot of noise about Brexit, but if I was sitting in Tokyo or Sydney, you know, who cares about that? That's impacted our local real estate market, but it's not globally. So it's not it's not very homogeneous. It doesn't react in the same way as more listed asset classes. And so again, it's why we look at these secular trends. So you know, broadly, as I've mentioned a couple of times, urbanization across ages is going to increase demand for, well, not just residential as we started on, not just offices because of more people, uh, but also that impacts retail, warehousing. As soon as you get more people, that creates greater demand and with an absence of supply, which um, we see very little of globally, there's very little construction on a relative basis, we'll see that demand. And so from an Asia perspective, all of those factors are pretty compelling. In the US, uh, technology and innovation, corporate growth continues to be a focus for us. You know, they tend to be in very specific locations. If you're a technology company, the challenge these days, or even a life science company and other key sectors that we like, one of the real challenges there is attracting staff, getting the right quality staff. They're pretty demanding. And so you need to go where the staff are. You need to provide the environment that those staff want. And that, as I said before, is, is highly amenitized, um, more collabor collaboration space, um, more creative space, easy communications where people work. That drives us as we're, we're kind of thinking. And then, you know, staying a little bit with the U.S. Um, and thinking about kind of residential um, or even healthcare, you know, aging population, creates demand. As more people need medical intervention um, and the population in the U.S. is, is, is aging rapidly, they, they've also got a, a private healthcare system. And what that means is that you know, increased spending means more healthcare facilities. So the U.S., it could extend elsewhere, but very focused in the U.S., we love healthcare. And lastly, um, in Europe, you know, cities tend to be very historic in Europe. They're very constrained, very little vacancy, very little scope to develop more. Much of the housing stock is over 50 years old and not really fit for purpose for rental from a rental perspective. And so, what again, we like uh, high-quality CBD, amenitized offices. Uh, we also like the, the more kind of multifamily in the U.S. sense, so amenitized, fit for purpose residential. That's an opportunity in Europe. It's, the great thing about real estate is it's very varied around the world. There's no one secular theme. It's different markets, different sector combinations can be very compelling around the world. That's why we like a global approach is, is you can take advantage of these different pockets of opportunity no matter where you are.
Well, real estate is varied around the world, as you've said, but it's hard for private individuals to get diversification in real estate exposure sometimes. So how, uh, how do you think uh, that's achievable and how should people, individuals, think about real estate diversification? Yeah, look, it is. It's a it's a great diversifier. It's a it's a, a market cap, if you like, of commercial real estates over over uh, over twenty trillion globally. And unlike other asset classes, it's pretty much evenly split between Asia, the Europe, and the U.S. Meaning there are opportunities everywhere. Um, and in the same way, individuals invest in equities and bonds globally. We think they should do in real estate. But what you've done is is to highlight the key challenge: how do you do that? And I think many individuals invest domestically and that's that's great i think it's a great thing to be able to do but access, accessing a global portfolio is difficult and i think this is where you know relying on um global real estate managers people who've got a presence on the ground around the world who are local in their own markets it is after all a local asset class everyone's an expert around where they live um in their own real estate but less so elsewhere so i think being able to rely on professional institutional managers and frankly for individuals to follow the path that the largest most sophisticated institutional investors started on you know 10 15 20 years ago follow that global path rely on um, global real estate managers um, there are a number of funds which allow access into into global real estate and I think that's probably the best route to follow an individual very few individuals could invest in the sort of assets we could as a manager, for example. The average asset size, property size, is, is well over 100 million. There are very few individuals who could buy one of those, let alone a number of them, and certainly not in a diversified portfolio. So I think this is one of those asset classes where, to be global, you need to rely on the expertise of, of managers who operate globally and are, in effect, local in their own particular markets. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.